Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I shouldn't have expected anything different at all. Knowing how these playoffs have gone with reviews and knowing how pretty much anytime there's an argument where you and I say we can't have this argument because at the end of this podcast, I need to hit, you know, end recording and you need to leave my house without us beating each other to a pulp. And I should have known that as soon as we've taken that stance, what would the universe give us besides one of the most controversial offside reviews and subsequent calls that we have seen in recent NHL history. I have received, I just got finished telling you, I've received probably like four or five DMs from friends and people who I talk hockey with who um, I actually like, unlike you. And um, for legal purposes, that's a joke. Relax. <laughs> you know who you are. Um, all of them ended with like straight, most of them ended with like straight vitriol. Like if you disagree, I'll stab you. I will find you and stab you. And I'm like, wow. Well, it looks like we're going to have to talk about this on tomorrow's podcast. (laughs) You ready for that? I'm always ready. Because see, the difference between me and you is I don't read the comments. (laughs) I don't care what people think of my opinion because I'm never going to know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Because I say out loud, I say and I truly believe, yeah, I don't care what, like, you know, not everyone's going to like everything we do. And that's part of, you know, growing. We have more listeners, whatever. There's no way everyone's going to like everything we do. And I I accept that. And I really do. Like, to my core, I really do. But every time I go and read the comments. And honestly, I've gotten to the point where some of like there's just straight up mean stuff I just laugh at. Straight. I, I've I found a way to laugh at. I've I've taken a lot actually from from Frege in that respect. He just takes it in stride. His tweet yesterday was, uh, once again, I thank you all for your kind DMs. I laughed my ass off when I saw that. But there's absolutely no way I'm not going to read them. And that's a, that's a big problem. I probably need to see that, like have that addressed by a professional at some point. Yeah, it's just comment, uh, something derogatory. Yeah, whatever. Uh, someone questioning your intelligence. Uh, whatever. This three pay this three paragraph long well reasoned explanation about why you're wrong. Screw that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the funny part is you're not kidding. <laughs> it's times like this where okay, first of all, I miss Red Wings playoff hockey more than anything. More than anything. Yesterday was twenty years ago to the day of game seven of the two thousand two Western Conference final against Colorado, the seven nothing route of the avalanche where they they chased patrick waugh they sang na 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 in the stands like iconic that's one of the best playoff series of all time i would give almost anything to have that back but i have to tell you right now as a neutral observer i feel safe (laughs) i feel like i can go to bed happy it is a small reprieve from what i know oilers fans and avalanche fans and and teams in the playoffs their fans are going through It'll be us again one day. Can't wait. <laughs> Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, NHL, and the world of hockey. I am one of your hosts sitting in uh, Evan Lobsinger's spot, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. No, <laughs> bad Brad. Because <laughs> some people listen audio only and they think we sound similar. 
and I say, well, because oh, no, I have to give an opinion about offside and offside reviews today. So I, Evan, would like to receive direct <laughs> feedback from everybody who disagrees with me at my Twitter handle at HockeytownEvan. <laughs> yeah, uh, the way you can tell mine and Brad's voices apart are the bad opinions. If you hear a bad opinion, that's Brad. That's the way you can. That's the difference in our voice. <laughs> that's the different cadence. Uh, on this episode of the Wind Wheel podcast, there actually is uh, some Red Wings news in terms of prospects that were left uh, to be free from the Red Wings pipeline um, and incoming ELC possibly for the towering behemoth, so named by large. And a player I want to talk about a centerman who might not be qualified by Chicago who could fill in Detroit's middle center depth. I'm not talking about last year's Pew suitor, believe it or not. Uh, we have our first mock draft of the year with our good friend Max Boltman of the Athletic Detroit. So we we did a 16-pick mock draft of all the non-playoff teams. I can't believe how far he went off the board for Detroit's pick. It was really weird that he tried to draft Bowen Byram again. Again. But uh, no, actually, I was the clown for this mock draft. I'm the one who messed up that many times. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, and then we are going to chat a little bit about the playoffs, talk about that offside review before going into overtime, provided that we survive the offside review conversation. Mm-hmm. Before that, uh, I want to tell everyone about the Jamie Daniels Foundation and the work that you have helped us do to raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation over the past season. Uh, you have helped us raise over $29,000. We're close to our stretch goal of $30,000 uh from the start of the 2021-2022 season until now through the Wings Money on the Board campaign. And that was started uh, in partnership with our good friend Prashant Iyer. So thank you so very much for that. Once the Calder Trophy is announced, I know a lot more of you are going to be making pledges and donations. And then we're hoping to hit that stretch goal. So really, really excited. Uh, and we really encourage you to visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to learn more uh, and offer your support. Um, they're doing really fantastic work. There's a lot of great stuff coming up on their end, uh, which we'll talk about shortly. Speaking of Prashanth Iyer, the If I Were Steve Eisenman uh, series part three will be released Depending on when you're listening to this, it might be out. Uh, but as of Thursday morning, that will be out and live for everyone on the wingedwheelpodcast.com blog. Uh, once it's up, I will edit the description of this episode to include the link. Go give it a, a read. It is everything draft. It includes rankings. It includes uh, draft strategies, trading up, trading down, things like that. A really, really comprehensive look at the top prospects that will likely be available to the Red Wings at eighth overall. Okay. Why don't we start with uh, the Detroit Red Wings, who, as of today, uh, have decided to not offer contracts and thus forfeited the exclusive signing rights to the following prospects. Otto Kiven Mackey, who is the 191st overall pick uh, round seven in the 2018 draft. Uh, Jesper Eliasson, third round pick in the 2018 draft, 84th overall. And Alex Cotton, fifth round pick, 132nd overall in the 2020 NHL draft. So Kevin Mackey is a uh, center slash forward. Eliason is a goaltender and Alex Cotton is a defenseman. Uh, Kevin Mackey and Eliason will be eligible as UFAs and uh, Alex Cotton is eligible to actually re-enter the draft. So that's the gist of it without getting into the nitty gritty details. In terms of the prospects lost here, I have to say Eliason isn't a surprise. He's one of the goalie darts that the Red Wings have thrown and will continue to throw and just didn't pan out and it shouldn't come as a shock. Otto Kevin Mackey is, it's not 
statistically and, and just by watching his career progression, it's not a shock. But before that injury, you know, you had a little glimmer of hope for him. He definitely outperformed his draft slot. Um, the fact that he ended up on anybody's radar at all, um, let alone as many as he did, you know, seventh round picks are often afterthoughts within a year of being drafted. Uh he showed a hell of a lot of improvement, especially for being a five foot nine, hundred and twelve pound forward. Um, but the problem is when you're like that, you can't just be above average. Yeah, you have to be elite, and he never got close to that. Um, but he gave it a good run. You know, the, the injury sucked, and it was scary. And obviously, we're happy that he's back playing hockey again. But yeah, he just didn't have the high end tools to overcome his deficiencies, even though. He definitely overachieved relative to where he was drafted. At 191st overall, you take a swing on those guys who would potentially have that high-end skill. And if you could have guaranteed it, they wouldn't be 191st overall pick. So I have no problem with that dart. Uh, Elias in that that third-round pick, you'd like to see a little bit better come of a third-round pick. I know Prashanth would be the first to... Uh, first to say, this is why you don't spend really high draft stock on a goaltender. Um it's a third round pick. It's not the end of the world. Still, it's from 2018. It wasn't the, the best draft. That that draft shaping up to be all right for the Red Wings anyway. They they might have three legit NHL players out of that draft, which is always a success. Yeah, I'm just looking at the third round after where Eliason was picked because um, they had they took Alec Regula, they took Seth Barton, and then they took Jesper Eliason with the third of that. So I I understand why. Yeah, you have three third round picks. You take a crack, but for the people who went behind him, there wasn't really too much. Like when I say it wasn't the best draft, there wasn't too much behind him where you're like, oh, there's an obvious pick right there of a guy who panned out. So, uh, Alex Cotton, a little bit more recent, just twenty twenty fifth round pick, drafted as an overager though. That was his second time eligible for the draft, and he's uh. He was a high-producing offensive defenseman. And even this past season with the Vancouver Giants in the dub, you know, 32 points in 46 games, 16 points in 12 playoff games. The numbers are there, but there's questions about – questions. They identified a lack of ability in terms of skating and in terms of play in the defensive zone. Was never – hasn't really been one of the premier Red Wings defensive prospects, so – kind of just is what it is there yeah i mean he was an overager in the whl this year too which for an offensive defenseman as an overager those numbers are while good weren't anything special uh, especially in the regular season you would hope to see more because he's what uh, 21 already or close to it um yeah he just turned 21 about uh just under a month ago yeah exactly so he an offensive defenseman as an overager in the chl should be over a point per game that's I mean, he was a late bloomer to begin with. So um, in terms of his overall career trajectory, he'll probably land in a pretty decent pro league. And that's fantastic for him because in his draft year, that probably didn't look like it was going to happen. Right. Um, So for Alex Cotton, the person, he's still batting where above he probably should have been three years ago. So it's still a good story. But in terms of his NHL prospects, yeah, there, there really isn't much, if any. These are all, and if this is sounding foreign to you, just know that this kind of thing happens cyclically. Some years you have more players expiring than others. Essentially, there comes a point where you have to make a decision with players. Are they moving up through your system? Are you trading them out? Are you signing them? Or do you have to make room 
just by letting them go because you have another draft every year there's a draft and you have to bring those players in and there needs to be room for them so it's it's just pruning there are contract limits and only so many roster spots available yeah uh speaking of contracts elmer soderbloom yet to sign his elc but rumored to be coming so uh Frolunda has all but given up on the hope of uh of the big man returning over there so we can probably expect something on the front of uh, elmer soderbloom and his entry-level contract soon where do you think he ends up probably grand rapids um that's the safe answer but that's not the fun answer brad it's not the fun answer don't i want be- that get in the way that don't let the truth get in the way of some fun Hey, they are the Red Wings, usually one of the more injury-prone teams in the league. We could see a midseason call-up if he performs well. For for all his talent, he still has a, quite a few things to elevate in his game in order to play at the NHL level. But he seems to have the important things figured out. So it's probably more refining than changing who he is as a player, which is always a, a very, very positive sign. Um, smaller ice, you know, quicker pace. It's, it's the tra- traditional, typical stuff that everybody preaches and always sounds repetitive and honestly it gets us repetitive <laughs> but it's we say it so often because it is relevant yeah. almost universally to european prospects especially guys who like soderbloom who went into the draft as a very very raw prospect who had a lot to work on but obviously like the tools were there and the red wings were hoping hey if this guy ever puts it together holy hell you might have some here and as luck would have it it seems like he's put it all together, but doesn't mean it's fully there yet. Very close. Very, very close. But I think he'd benefit greatly from a year in Grand Rapids. From the moment he was drafted until now, um, he's done nothing but impress and show that that was it. Yeah, 159th overall, sixth round pick in 2019 was well worth it. He, We called him at the time. Those who have been listening for a while, you remember, he's a project pick. He's he's a weird combination of some really unique skills where if they come together in the right way, you have a little bit of a unicorn. And sure, that might be a third, fourth line player or it could also mean a first, second line player. It could be a guy who slots in confidently on your power play. It could be a guy who makes a difference in a game more regularly than not. And with a six round pick, 159th overall, that's amazing. For a guy who is that big, you, know, you, you said he needs to elevate parts of his game. His height's not no adequate (laughs) he is a monster he's huge and the way he stick handles and controls the puck especially in tight you'd think he was Otto kevin mackie who we just talked about who's like five seven five eight at best so yeah he's been fun to watch and it is not a bad thing i joked earlier like don't let the truth get in a good way of some fun it will still be fun if and likely when elmer soderbloom ends up in the ahl um, I think Grand Rapids, I think Griffins fans deserve that because they, they <laughs> thought they were going to have both Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider this, se- this season. Well, not Sider, but at least Lucas Raymond. And uh, they got neither of them. So, you know, they'll get Soderblom and I think he'll uh, he'll do some damage down there. Yeah, it'll be fun. I want to talk about one player before we get into the mock draft. Dylan Strom, center for the Chicago Blackhawks, who are in a pretty unique cap situation. Um. We talk about this in the mock draft coming up, but they're essentially recovering from the previous administration's management. Um, Can't relate. Not at all. <laughs> Never been through a situation like this. Asset management. Oh, God, that pick. That If that pick turns into Eurocheck, I'll lose my mind. That's so funny. Um, but Dylan Strom is a player who might not see a qualifying offer. He's a restricted free agent for the Chicago Blackhawks. And for those of you who don't know, 
long story short, to retain the rights to your restricted free agents, you need to tender a qualifying offer. And in the interest of saving cap um, and managing the roster, Dylan Strome might not get one. He plays center. He's 25 years old. What is it? Last season in, in 69 games, he, he had 48 points. You look up his underlying numbers, his impacts on the ice are solid. Is this another situation where the Chicago Blackhawks might leave a solid NHL roster centerman unqualified and thus open to free agency and the Red Wings pick him up, much like they did with Pew Suter last year? Yes. Would Except, you do it? Yes. But I don't think it'll happen for Detroit. How come? One, I still think um, people overestimate how hard it is to. I don't want. I don't know what the right word is here. Finagle the cap for when it looks like you have no cap space, but you teams always find ways. So if they if the Hawks want to keep Dylan Strom, they will find a way to keep Dylan Strom. Um, but I would have said the same thing with Pew Suter as well. And these are the Hawks, <laughs> a very poorly managed team as of late. Um, but unlike Pew Suter, Dylan Strom has at least a three to four year track record of being half decent in the NHL. Pew Suter had one year of being okay in the NHL. So a lot of teams were like, eh, there might not be anything there. I think we have a little more certainty with what Dylan Strom is as a player, which means he'll have more suitors. His price will go up. I'm not saying the Red Wings shouldn't do it. I'm not saying the Red Wings shouldn't do it aggressively. I'm just saying I think that with how responsible Steve Eisenman is with the cap, I wouldn't call the Red Wings the favorite to land him, but they are absolutely going to be one of the teams because Eisenman might throw a curveball. Let's not forget the option still on the table for salary cap dumps, and I'm not saying this one's going to happen, but Eisenman likes cap dumps. He likes assets and he likes reclamation projects. So it could make just as much sense, if not more sense, for Eisenman to call up a team like Calgary and go, you need cap space. You want to keep Johnny Goudreau. What asset will you give us? And we'll give uh, Sean Monahan a year to see what he can do. Like there's options like that. Yeah. I'm using him as an example, but because if, if Dylan Strom gets three years at five mil from someone, do the Red Wings do that? Probably not. His qualifying offer would be 3.6 million from Chicago for just for context as to what uh, ballpark he'd be in. And his he, previous salary is 3 million. And he's been consistently over half a point per game for the last four years. With, like I mean, that's a pretty cheap price for a 40-point score. Last season, he was just under and then over. Yeah, yeah, he actually has been. Last season was 17 points in 40 games, but that's about it. The season prior, 26 and 58, so close, just under 34 and 58 the season prior. And then in 2021-2022, he had 48 points in 69 games. So he's a, he's a productive player. You're going to see... I would imagine you'd see similar-ish numbers. You're not going to see them skyrocket if he does end up on Detroit. Think about Pew Suter and what he did in Chicago compared to the Red Wings. I think he'd be walking onto a Red Wings team that's likely a little bit better than last year. Um, he may have even more ice time. You know, Strom and Suter to take on that second and third line, whichever one wants to step up their center role behind Larkin as first line center. I don't mind that. It's not great. It's not cup competitive. It's likely not even, it's actually definitely not playoff competitive. Yeah. Nothing says uh, you want to win a cup right now. Like uh, just ripping off the Blackhawks. <laughs> hey, they have, they've had a few in their generation. They're just coming off that now. Were Strom and Suter a part of those? Shh, 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 
what did I say earlier about the truth, Brad? Right, right, right. <laughs> We're running a podcast here, okay? Um, I'm just, I'm always in favor of building in true. Why'd you just punch the wall? I was stretching. I thought I had more clearance to bring my arm back around. There's a short joke in here somewhere, but you're lucky I'm not clever enough to make it. <laughs> I'm always in favor of bringing in centermen who can shelter Michael Rasmussen, i.e. put him on the wing. I'm always in favor of bringing in centermen to shelter injuries in the lineup, which happen every year, seemingly more than ever on the Red Wings. And so, you know, if Larkin goes down or Suter goes down, you still have a natural center to play. And you're not asking Joe Valeno to play first line center. I think it'd be great. I think you'd still make a good point, though. There are going to be suitors elsewhere. He's not a he's not a small name either. Dylan Strome was a third overall draft pick in twenty yeah twenty fifteen. People know his name. It's a they're going to know his story. I'm sure, like you said, other GMs have their eyes on him. They're going to try to get him cheap. And why are you laughing? And I'm always worried it's about the damn monkey. No, that could be back to back years where the Red Wings take an Arizona Coyotes first round pick as a reclamation project. 2014, Brendan Perlino. Oh, <laughs> I forgot Perlino was a Coyote. was a Coyote's prospect. Between that and the ridiculous jokes that we were making before we hit record that we can't repeat, <laughs> I, your brain is like the the Homer Simpson thing where like you see what's going on in there. It's just the monkey with the, <laughs> with the symbol. I told you how my night last night went. So, yeah, it's very understandable. Again, I don't know why it's so hard for you to have kids. I watched your kids and it was dead simple. I just think I'm way better at this. <laughs> I can't even get it up. Straight face. Okay, folks, this has gone off the rails. Uh, let's jump into this uh, conversation that we had uh, with Max Weltman of the Athletic, Athletic Detroit and uh, just as importantly, good friend of the Winged Wheel podcast. So we did our first of the season mock draft, 16 picks, wherein I tried to assign Max the Red Wings pick and I can't count backwards apparently. So it ended up with Brad. So thank you, uh, Max, for putting up with that and enjoy this interview, everyone. So we started this uh, recording, and it was 6-3, and it is now currently 7-4 in the Oilers-Avalanche game. So let's set the over-under at 13.5 goals. Over. Over. Yeah, maybe I went too low there. (laughs) There's still three minutes left in the second. I've seen the Oilers score three goals in a period like too many times this playoffs to take the under there. And we just saw Colorado and St. Louis do this to end their last, well, not to end their last series, but uh, that game that St. Louis won. Yeah, maybe that was set too low. We probably should have set it at like 15 and a half. Anyhow, uh, we really do need to work on that cardboard cutout of Prashanth to join us, but welcome to the first of the season uh, 2022 NHL entry mock draft featuring uh, none other than Max Boltman. Max, thanks for joining us. Yeah, always good to be here. Excited to uh, see where this number ends up and sad to be missing it live. (laughs) You're guilting me, man. You're guilting me (laughs) on air for the listeners. (laughs) Yeah, Prashanth couldn't make it uh, probably just because he's watching the game. So we are long overdue to start one of these. So appreciate Max coming back from vacation from beautiful Costa Rica you went to? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. You got four letters right. (laughs) How was that? It was really good. Oh, it was good. great. We we hiked the rainforest. We kayaked three times. Obviously, uh, did some some pool sitting and all that good stuff. Uh, tried the various. I think I, pina colada was invented there, right? So I, I tried one of those from there. Sure. Yeah. Nice. 
Well, if it's, if it wasn't multiple different, like people at touristy places claimed it was. So then it's just a scam. You know what? I don't think a pina, I, I would happily take a pina colada from like Chatham, Ontario as well. Can't miss with those. <laughs> yeah. No, like I, I actually, Allison and I were just talking about it though, because it's like, it's one of those drinks that if you order it at like any bar, the bartender like probably should have license to slap you because of how high maintenance they are to make. But if everyone there is claiming that they're, it's invented there, it's kind that's of a free good. invitation to order it. So that's yep. what we did. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, how do we usually do this to decide the order? I think we just first decide who wants to make the Red Wings pick and then go from there. <laughs> You know what, Max? You just went through, what was it, 2,500 responses for your fan opinion survey? I don't want to do it. How about that? <laughs> well, that much like President of the United States of America, that is the perfect sign that you were the right person for the job. So, Max, you are drafting eighth overall for the Red Wings. Right. And I have, to, I have to do some quick math here, uh, which means you're drafting second. 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 Uh, I'm going to give myself first because I think that's funny. So I get the easy pick. And Brad, you are going Is to. Is it eat. easy? I think it's easy. Okay. There's <laughs> some momentum. I, it okay. Always, it all, this storyline always I comes know. up a month before the draft. Every damn year. Remember when there was that, a thought Connor McDavid wasn't the first overall pick? Remember that month? I actually I remember don't. that I month. I was not following the league at that time. <laughs> okay. I remember that month. I don't think that, like, obviously that was a ridiculous thing because it's Connor McDavid. But of all players to be chalked up against Connor McDavid that year, that was one hell of a second overall pick, right? Like, it's not like they were working with Dylan Strome possibly second overall there. Anyhow, uh, I will be drafting for the Montreal Canadiens to start, Brad for the New Jersey Devils, and then Max for the Arizona Coyotes. Max, if you make the correct pick here, you actually win uh, a season ticket to... They're a college. They're five thousand seat, less than five thousand seat college arena. So good luck. Can I hold you to that order because you just gave Brad the uh, eighth pick spot. Wait, did I? Yeah, whoever picks second is going to pick eighth. Oh, I did. Yeah, no, that's fair. Brad, you're picking eighth. Get him on the technicalities every time, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. If you Hell take yeah. one thing away Deep. from this. Oh. <laughs> oh, what a mess. Okay, 2022 NHL mock entry draft. For your six, we're going to get started. First overall for the Montreal Canadiens, they are not going to big brain this. I know there's a an argument to be made for Uri Slavkovsky and Max. I want to hear it from you in a second. But they are going to go with the centerman, Shane Wright, in the Bell Center in Montreal, and they're going to be happy about it. I, I would pick Shane Wright, too. I just think the argument is who's the more like absolutely dynamic player? It is Slavkovsky. You could also say Cooley is more dynamic, absolutely. Um, but... You know, to me, what does Montreal already have? It is a super smart, detailed two-way center who's probably not going to light up the score sheet to a crazy degree in Nick Suzuki. If you have two of those guys, awesome, great. I would, I would make that pick if I was their GM, but I just think there is an argument that the thing that they're missing more than anything else is a super explosive, do it all, uh, you know, six, four power forward winger. I, th- I think he's a winger pretty standardly, but still, I think it's an argument, but. Uh, I would pick Shane Wright too. Okay. Am I off base here, Max? I know you cover prospects more regularly on your show with Corey at The Athletic. Um, Shane Wright, is he not one of the, I don't know, most prominent players who seemingly was affected by that missed COVID year? Because we saw no, how I, long. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I just really get the sense with Shane Wright. Like, I, I do think he's the bona fide number one pick here, but I, I do get the sense that in a couple of years, people will be looking back and thinking, oh, we were really low on him, even though he went first overall. Maybe. I mean, I like, if he goes first, no one's going to say that they got like the question to me is, what is the offense going to be? Cause I think that's what people expected to be higher in his draft year. I think his shot, um, can be the kind of weapon that like there's a world, absolutely a world where he turns into a 40 goal scoring Selkie finalist and then everybody shuts up forever. Um, but if he ends up like a 30 goal, 70 point, like really good, but not quite absolutely elite two way guy, um, then I think people will make arguments about it, especially like we'll see what Cooley and Slavkovsky do, but. I'd pick him. Like I, to me, it's just like it, you. You have such a clear idea. Number one centers are so hard to find. Uh, I, I think the comp Corey put on him in his ranking today was Mika Zibanejad. And while Mika Zibanejad may not scream first overall pick to a lot of people, if you take that player, you are going to be thrilled no matter what happens anywhere else in the draft because you have that player. And that's how I would look at it. Center's the hardest position to find and add cheaply. Just do it. But I'm just saying that the argument is. There are people out there who will say you should take the, you know, highest ceiling, et cetera, et cetera. That may be Shane Wright, but it also may be Yuri Slavkovsky or Logan Cooley. So what I think this might come down to, and I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion as we lead up to the draft is because Shane Wright and similarly a lot of other players from the OHL in this draft missed that year. Did they just miss a year of development? And it's never going to catch up and they just miss that year. So that's just lost forever. Or did it just delay their development is should we treat Shane Wright's 17 year old year closer to a 16 year old year? Because that was his second season, which should have been his third season. And I, I don't know the answer. I don't have a super strong opinion on this, but I think that might be what the debate comes down to on what you think of him. It's a great question. I mean, probably the best, um, thing you could look at to try and figure that out is how do players who like start playing later um how does it work for them right because because is it about is the development about number of years on ice and reps and all that stuff or is it about you know the moldability that you have at certain ages and and we kind of know you got ryan you're smarter you guys are both smarter than me like the neural pathways and stuff that you can build right like it's supposed to be easier to learn a language when you're young than when you're 26 uh Stuff like that. Like it could be something like that, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not even just neural pathways, what your body can sustain and and the kind of development that you have, the ease at which that development comes, your recovery. It's all just so much more, it's so much more ideal as they're around draft age and prior. Um, Those are formative years. And I've used that phrase before. Parents will will know the same kind of language when they talk about those years where their their kids are like a sponge. Brad, you know that because I've been teaching Mika swear words while you've not been around. Um, Good luck keeping up with me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not to say that that it's impossible. Like once they lose that year, they're forever, you know, this decrepit, less than hockey prospect. Like Brad raised the question. We don't know the answer to it, but yeah, Max, you're not wrong. It's it's better to not miss that year, those years in that development, uh, than to kind of go through what Shane Wright has done. He's on the back foot, as are his peers who who went through the same treatment. Okay. Brad, number two for the New Jersey Devils, assuming Tom Fitzgerald hasn't traded away the pick like he has teased. Who are you taking? See, I see why Max gave away this draft slot, because not only do I 
get to be the lightning rod for whoever I pick for Detroit. I also get to be the lightning rod in the Slavkovsky versus Cooley debate, which I'm sure nobody will have any strong opinions about. Um, I try to not draft with a preference on position, best player available. I try to not draft based on team needs because like most people point out and wisely say, you don't know what that team looks like in two, three, four, five years when these players hit their stride. That being said, the more dynamic player in my mind of these two does play the premium positions. So if I'm New Jersey, I'm going Logan Cooley here. That makes it easy uh, for Arizona. I mean, they, they did already take a, a winger, um, you know, at the top last year. And so I'm sure they, they would have probably preferred that Cooley got to them. Um, but I, I would have made the same pick Brad did. I really love Logan Cooley's game. I, I, I do put a premium on the position. Um, so Slavkovsky, though, easy choice here at number three. See, that's really interesting. I don't disagree with the pick, Brad. I, I can't say that I would make the same one for the Devils. I haven't really thought about Slavkovsky versus Cooley too much. Uh, but people are talking about Slavkovsky. I, th- I think Corey actually had him ranked first. Corey uh, did. And, yeah. And honestly, like that is the thing with the Devils is having those two centers. Like, does that sway them to Slavkovsky? Yeah. Imagine Slavkovsky paired up with any one of those, you know, high-end borderline elite centers, depending on how far you think Hughes is into his development. So certainly makes my pick easier. The Arizona Coyotes, though they may have preferred the center, will be happy to have happy to have Uri Slavkovsky out of Liga. And I think that is where is that your pick? Yeah, and I already I made went. it. <laughs> where have you been, champ? <laughs> my God. What's wrong? Am I okay? This is like the third straight episode where I've just been nowhere. I think I'm going to go see the doctor tomorrow. Did you miss that year of development? <laughs> uh i'd apologize but i'm gonna do it again <laughs> and there's a little spreadsheet that pick, my friend, ryan takes sorry go ahead there's a little spreadsheet that my friend ryan made for us ryan if you want to just use that it can be a helpful little guide for you uh all right i think bowen byram would be a great pick here <laughs> <laughs> what a throwback what a throwback yeah max isn't getting the worst part is i did make a spreadsheet that we're all in right now to make things easier because <laughs> i have been known to to trip up on this in the past i can't ever make fun of evan again fourth overall for the <laughs> seattle kraken this is one where a couple months ago i might have had an easier time taking uh david your but i think i'm gonna go with simon nemich here um, out of Slovakia, the right-handed defenseman, you just can't ignore what he's done and the kind of production he's had. And he's been—he doesn't have that daunting knee injury that Yurchek has. Uh, I think he's going to be a little bit more of an attractive option for these teams. And again, my opinion has swayed, and it might do so again. But right now, I'm on—I'm on Nemec for the Kraken. I like that. I think we're—we're we're just looking it up today, um, in our talking in our group chat and. Uh, he had, I think it was the fifth highest scoring world championships, like men's world championships ever um, by a U18 player, but like overall, and he's a defenseman. Like that's um, extremely impressive. And he's obviously unprecedented scoring in the Slovakian men's league. And I think he's smart enough that he's not just like an offensive player. I think he's a two-way player. And so when you factor in that he has that offense, impressive. All right. Uh, before I say who's going next, if this is Brad with the Philadelphia Flyers, fifth overall. Brad, who are you going with? Well, uh, best player available, position be damned. So I don't even want to have the debate because he's clearly the pick here in my mind, regardless of where he settles. Most dynamic player on the board, Matt Savoy. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
So you're going Matt Savoy. So he's not even coming close in your in your world to the Red Wings at eight. I'm screwing myself here on this one. Like that's who I want Detroit to get at eight, but I like him so much I can't justify passing up on him here. Even though I'm tempted to go with Juracek, but it would have been between those two for me there. I think Savoy is going to be on the board when Detroit picks. I think I so agree. too, based on everything that's coming out, and that has me excited. But I'm the shitty GM of the Philadelphia Flyers right now. And I like Matt Savoy. <laughs> Respect. All right. Uh, then I guess Columbus is going to go with your check. Uh, obviously this is, is this the Chicago pick, right? Yeah, this is the Chicago so, pick. Very convenient for them that in the trade that they traded away Seth Jones, they get their next right shot D of the future here, as well as having gotten Cole Sillinger last year. Uh, that trade looks like an absolute heist for the Blue Jackets. Uh, and I think getting their replace, their just one for one replacement for Seth Jones, uh, right here kind of cements that. That trade was bad at the time and somehow has still aged even worse. I, that's got to even be even like more of a sting for Chicago to watch a defenseman of that caliber go off the board. It should be some kind of poetic justice or it should be some kind of, you know, warning tale or cautionary tale to GMs in the future who want to make that tra- kind of trade, but we know it's going to happen again. Anyhow, I'm not going to cry over bad moves that uh, the Chicago Blackhawks make. Uh, seventh overall for the Ottawa Senators. I'm Pierre Dorian, happy as can be. And I'm going to stroll up to the stage and take... It's tight because I think in talking to Prashant and reading part three of his uh, If I Were Steve Eisman article, I see a big case for Marco Casper here. But I'm going to go with Joachim Kemmel out of Liga for for the Sens. I really like that pick for them. Uh, I would be surprised if Kemmel actually drops down to seven. I, I see him going maybe a few picks higher. I think it's a good pick. I mean, I, I think uh, – I wonder what Ottawa, like, if they had their absolute – well, first of all, the answer might be trading it or something for an impact player right now. But I wonder if they could have their absolute choice, like what position and player do they want to be there? Because – they have improved, I think, their back end, but it's, you know, Shabbat and Sanderson, would they kind of prefer that you're a check got to them? Um, centers, they now kind of have Norris and Stutzla. I don't think they're like center needy. I think they can kind of play this winger wise. And that's why I like this. Like they don't need to, to worry too much about position. Um, but I, I also know like, like having drafted Tyler Boucher a year ago, it, like it seems like the kind of thing where I could see them preferring the power game of like a cutter Gautier here too. And so it's, it's an interesting, like, I think Kemmel's a tough player to play against and he, he's a great scorer, like, but it's an interesting, I would love to know who they, like, who's their ideal. Is it Juracek, do you think, or is it one of the wingers? I wouldn't be surprised if it, they're hoping Matt Savoy is there. That could be dynamic. Super Ottawa strikes me as a Connor Geeky destination. Mm. Interesting. Because of the kind of the big center dynamic, yep. The and two that the they have to flex like, to the wing, yeah. The two that they, the two centers they have being kind of more like true offensive profile, not small but not huge kind of thing situation. I can see that. Yeah, because the beauty of drafting a center uh, beyond obviously the premium of having a center, and part of my thinking even taking Cooley for New Jersey is it is way easier to flex a center to wing if you have uh, too many than it is to bring a winger to center. So if Ottawa brings in a Connor Geeky and he ends up being their 3C, great problem solved. If they end up with like four great centers in the organization and they have to flex one of them to the wing, not that's not a bad problem to have. All right. 
Brad, you have the eighth overall pick. So for the purposes of this mock draft, you are selecting for the Detroit Red Wings. But Max, you and I will also chime in with who we take here. So Brad, take us away. If anybody's been listening for the last two months, this pick should not come as a surprise to anybody. Every once in a while, fate will align and you get a position of need with the guy you think is best player available and he meets the criteria of what your GM looks for in a player. So with the eighth overall pick, the Detroit Red Wings are going to select Frank Nazer. I can't really disagree with that at all. I think there are other contenders on the board, but yeah, Frank Nazer, like you said, Brad, that's a confluence of position of need, the kind of high-end skill that you'd hope to have at eighth overall. And man, it, it kind of works out really well for Detroit. I don't know. I can't. Ultra high uh, can't argue there. Steve Eiserman must. He can play all three zones. He's super skilled. Obviously, Detroit needs as many of those as they can get. I know he's on the small side, and to a lot of people, that's not ideal. But if Frank Nazer was six foot two, he wouldn't have made it to this pick. So, you know, best case scenario, you get a Braden Point. Worst case scenario, you get a real pain in the ass. Good three C. I think the other options really here that a lot of people will be thinking of are Marco Casper, uh, Brad Lambert, and one more that I suspect, Max, you might be want. Well, to I mean, I I picked Cutter Gauthier for them in our staff mock, um, and that's what I would do here as well, though I, I it's not a lock that he can play center, and um, I, I think that's relevant. Like, But if the choice to me are between Casper and Nazer, you guys know I would lean toward Casper, but I think they're both they're both good picks. They're both good prospects. They both fit um, a lot of what the Red Wings are looking for. I, I would, wouldn't have a problem with any of those picks. Same. All right. For the Buffalo Sabres, I believe, are up next. Max, who are you taking? Goche. Cutter Goche, just like that. Okay, so Cutter Goche is a guy who we're going to revisit on the podcast because I think the first time we talked about him, we came in a little low. And uh, the more we've talked and the more, you know, we, we've been going back and forth in the group chat. And I know Prashanth has pulled up some really great stats on Gauthier, um, much like Casper, I think, where his underlying numbers might surprise people. He's kind of coming in under the radar. No, uh, yeah. And, and I think that's going to be similar to kind of like the Mason McTavish effect um, last year, or the Jake Sanderson two years ago. Like, I think just the closer the draft gets, people are going to get more comfortable with the idea that I, I think he's going to go in this range, if not sooner. Um but yeah, like I, I just, I was similar to you guys. Like by midseason, I think my first live look at him was, uh, sometime around the Biosteel game. Might have even been, well, I mean, I obviously saw him in his underage year, but the Biosteel game, he was really good. He scored a great shot. Um, and then I saw him an- another game and was like, okay, like he's a good player. And just it built and built. And I w- the thing I was hesitant on was, is he just like a north south? skate and shoot the puck big guy and if that's the case then to me that guy should go around you know early teens or whatever um but i just kind of became more convinced that there was more offense there and um you know Corey and i have talked about it on the podcast and so that shaped that shaped his opinion a lot right like i kind of know what he's told me on that show and people can go listen to the athletic hockey show if they want to hear some of that stuff but um i've been sold i mean he put jt miller as the comp um in his uh, ranking today. I've also seen somebody who actually one of our commenters made the Chris Kreider comp, which I kind of like. And in either of those cases, I think that's a really good player. Carry prices of the future. Beware. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, for the Anaheim Ducks, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily where they'd go position-wise, but I don't think Marco Casper is going to slip beyond 11, so I really can't pass him up there. They're going to take the likely centerman, uh, Marco Casper, 10th overall to the Anaheim Ducks. Again, I, I think he's possibly going to be a Detroit pick, rogue out of the SHL. Detroit's obviously very intimately familiar with them. Um, and it's a premium position. So he's another player where... I'm probably coming in lower than most and we're going to take a serious look at because he's in Detroit's range. Uh, and again, he seems to have that kind of maturity and that ability to do so much in the game that you need to be able to play center. The production's not blow you away good, but it's also not terrible either. So yeah, Casper to, to the Ducks at 10, I think would be a steal for them. 11th to the San Jose Sharks, Bradley. I didn't realize how high I was on the forwards in this draft and how low I was on a lot of the defensemen until I keep looking at my board and it's just like forwards. Um, But for San Jose here, I'm going to take what might end up being one of many value picks in this draft for the same reason. And I'm going to go with Danila Yurov. I really uh, like that pick. I I was talking about this with somebody today and it seems like every few years – there's kind of a some reason that Russians are going to fall in the draft. And it seems like every time, four years later, people are like, how did that guy fall in the draft? And the answer is always because he's Russian. And this time it is different. This is not just about the KHL. This is about, you know, obviously the, the political situation with uh, f- coming out of the invasion in, in Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And, um, you know, Russia wasn't at the world championships for that reason. And, uh, you know, the, the U18s for that reason. So this is, this does go beyond kind of the usual Russian factor thing. Um, but my guess would just be, I don't know how long it's going to take, but at some time people are going to look back on this draft and say like, oh, why did that Russian guy go so low? And they'll remember, but the team that I think the team that made the pick will ultimately have gotten a good player because of it. Yeah, there always is a question about Russians, but land war in Europe seems to be a new. That's a new one, no yeah. doubt. No <laughs> we doubt. Had to, we had to create a new thing, a new selection in the drop down. And I'm not trying to compare that to to the previous stuff at all. I just, you know, it's it's it it just yeah. It's going to create and no, but you're right. It's going to create an inefficiency in the draft all the same and. I don't think teams are necessarily wrong to kind of operate in a way that's going to create those inefficiencies, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, you don't know what the situation is going to be. You don't know how what the ripple effects of this are. And that creates uncertainty and you hate – if you're drafting, that's like probably the number one thing you hate is uncertainty of any kind. I yeah. get it completely. Um, and it you know it's way easier for us to sit here on a podcast and say, you know, oh, you guys are going to let these guys fall and then someone's going to get a guy that they love. But – our jobs aren't on the line if we make the pick and the guy never plays in our uniform, right? Like our jobs aren't on the line. So it's way easier for us to sit here and say that than it will be for the people making those picks. And obviously it's a very negative subject that could have a lot of negative consequences in the context of the draft, but it could also have the inverse because I don't know if I know for a fact, I'm not the only one who's noticed it because a few people have pointed on Twitter. A lot of Russians this year have signed their ELCs way earlier than they normally would. Because, you know, maybe they think that's just what's best for their career. Maybe they're like, yeah, it's getting pretty bad back there and we'd like to get the hell out of there. So it's going to be a fascinating dynamic with the draft because it's a true nobody knows scenario. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, Max, I believe you are up next on the board. Speaking of drafting Russians, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are taking going 12th overall, have been known to do that in the first round in the past. Where are you going to go if you are uh, the GM of the Blue Jackets? Not as scary uh, as the real GM. Yeah, I think it's got to be uh, – well, I guess they did get Juracek earlier. I think I'm going to go with another D, though. I think I'm going to take Minchikov for them um, and just kind of keep building up that back end that, you know – there's going to be some temptation here to um, go with another forward. They added a couple of of good ones last year in in the first round. But I think if you zoom out a little bit, all of a sudden Columbus's decor, if they take Minchikov here, suddenly, I guess you could go look Karamaki. Maybe I should do that. Am I locked in? You're not locked in, but you're going to be frowned upon. No, no, no. It's not frowned upon. It's in a personal affront because I was going to take look Karamaki next, but I think, I think you should take whoever is a better player here. You're not locked in. I should take Lakaramaki. I'm going to do that. My my logic was going to be that the defense core with Minchikov would have Boquist, Kuhlmans, Juracek, Wierenski, Minchikov, which is a really impressive young D there. But I think the better play here for Columbus is going to be to add a winger to the centers they already have. Lakaramaki is one of the better offensive uh, players in this draft. I, I should pick him for them. That would be the smart thing to do. Devastating to me if Sorry. I'm Lou Morello. <laughs> Because I would have been thrilled with Lakaramaki there. I am tempted in terms of, you know, talent of the player to take Minchikov here. I really like him. But considering the Islanders, it really depends on what they think of either player as viability as a center. I'm stuck between Brad Lambert and Connor Geeky here. I'm going to go with the Lambert connection. Even though I think in real NHL life, they are probably not going to want to take an uncle nephew with this high of a pick, especially Lou Lamorello. But uh, this is a podcast. Like you mentioned, Max has no ramifications on real life. So (laughs) the New York Islanders at 13th overall are going to take Brad Lambert, an interesting but highly skilled player uh, out of Liga and one that I know a lot of Red Wings fans will have hoped to see at at eighth overall. What do you guys think of Brad Lambert? Because he's all over the board. Brad, you go first. I don't even know how to phrase it. Philip Zadina syndrome. Like you see it, you get it. It just doesn't happen. That seems to be the Brad Lambert trademark so far. There is something there. The talent's there. But eventually it has to click. And he's, correct me if I'm wrong, a late 2003 birthday. He's not even a 2004. So he had that extra year to get it going. And he just hasn't and it's been multiple teams i don't know there's a lot of red flags for me here with the production because you know it's been years it had to come at some point and it hasn't i agree and and he gives you those little tastes at the world juniors every year where you're like oh right you are freaky talented and i do get that i i have seen those same clips but this is the type of player that i struggle the most with is the one where it's like why aren't you scoring more why aren't you doing this more and like even like i people could say hey slavkovsky didn't score that much more in the same league right and that's not unfair but i would say he is younger uh and he has shown against men at the world championships and at the olympics that he can still do it and and i think if you go back and you look at slavkovsky's ice time pre-olympics and post-olympics i think that tells you a lot of the story um for what was going on there too and so I have a really hard time with it. The The first guy that comes to my mind with Lambert is like a Fabian Liesel, who 
I think is, is a good player, is a talented player. And I think there are people in Lee Sell's draft year who wanted him to go higher than he did. And he ended up going right at the start of the 20s or so, late teens, start of the 20s. And, and so I, I guess that's my best guess for, for Lambert. Like, there's a world here where he's a freak, for sure. But there's also a world where he's just like an Athanasiu. And that's a player that I would struggle to pick in the top half of the first round. I'm not drawing parallels in terms of draft position. I understand I'm talking about the second round here, the 52nd overall pick. But just last year, the Islanders took a late birthday centerman who used to be highly touted and dropped on a lot of boards in Aturatu. And he seems to have done well. So, uh, you know, I'm not drawing a parallel between the players, but just in terms of the way the teams approached that talent and might evaluate yeah. the pick. I, I, I can see it being possible, but I can't disagree with you guys in terms of how it would be scary. I'm scared of that doing pick it. for the Red Wings. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think that I personally, I don't think that's the direction they're going to go. I do like, you know, I know you said that's not what you're doing, but I do think it's a different equation at 13 and at 52, right? Like it, the stakes there are just so different. Yep. It's uh, it would, it would be a, you'd have to, you'd have to know something that t- other teams don't essentially. And you would, you employ his uncle, but like, you know. Okay. Uh, Brad for the Winnipeg Jets. Who are you doing to? Uh, who are you doing? Who are you bringing in to uh, to play with the Jets and possibly, I don't know, work with Trots in the future? Who knows? Well, Barry Trots loves to build from the back end, and um, as tempted as Winnipeg would be to take a prospect from Winnipeg, uh, they're going to jump to Michigan and take Pavel Minchikov. Since I can do that now, Minchikov because uh, Max left him on the board. And I agree. I think that's uh, that's a good pick at fifteen. Probably one that I should have taken with my uh, my fourteenth pick, but he's out of Saginaw. So, like you said, played in Michigan. There are still questions with him, right, in terms of his uh, whether he'd come over. But I think those are softened because he has just played in North America. So he he's been in North America for a couple of years. He sat out that entire OHL season that was canceled. He never bothered going back to Russia, even though the season was canceled. He's right. like was committed to the OHL the entire time. Okay. For the new era Vancouver Canucks, Max, who are you selecting at 15th overall? There's a few guys here who I, if I was Jim Rutherford, would really like to pick. Um, obviously, Ivan Marishenko, I think, is probably the most talented player left on the board. He's got double uncertainty with his illness and and obviously with the, the Russia situation this year. So I probably going to veer away at this point, but I think that's probably the highest upside um, pick that, that you could make here. Um, a couple defensemen, Kevin Korczynski and Leon Bischel. Um, and then there's the guy who I think I'm ultimately going to pick for them, which is Rucker McGroarty uh, from the NCDP. I, I, I like McGroarty. The skating is a question, but everything else seems really solid to me. And I think he's going to be a good top nine NHL player who has, I think, a pretty good shot to end up a pretty good top six player. They've got a couple of guys who, you know, JT Miller, we're going to see what happens there, but this would give them some insurance and some depth. And I just like the player and that's where I'm going to go. He was captain of team USA's uh, under 18 team, which I think gives you a little bit of bonus bonus points. Maybe it's not what you base the pick on, but I, I just like the entire package here. Really good shot, really smart player. Um, only question is the feet. And every year it seems like there's one or two guys who um, that is the question for and it just doesn't end up being that big a deal if they have the sense and the and everything else to overcome it. He he was the guy I was 
waiting on who's going to be my next pick. And I thought for sure I was going to get him. Not that he'll ever be this good, but I get big Ryan O'Reilly vibes from him. Just kind of that leader who can't really skate, but is so solid at everything else. You know, there's something there that you can work with. It's funny that you went with McRorty because you know you mentioned the things that are going to cause questions in terms of where he's picked. I think he's a guy who can go closer to 10 or, or possibly like 20 to 25. I don't know. Um, but how McRorty goes is how geeky goes in my mind. They have a lot of the same questions and depending on how people feel about either player, I think you're going to see him maybe in the same range. And I'm going to go with uh, Geeky for the Buffalo Sabres 16th overall. I think he's – I'd be surprised if he made it that far down and I, I think the same way uh, McRory is going to go higher as well. But uh, Geeky could make it in the top 10 really easily and nobody would bat an eye. Um, the biggest question is whether he can stick at center. He's – his skating doesn't leave a lot of confidence, but you almost get somewhat of an Anthony Mantha syndrome. If I'm, let me know if I'm off base here. Where, yeah, he's not the best skater, but once he gets up to speed, he does move down the ice. It's just a matter of how often is he at speed. But you can't deny the talent. Uh, you can't deny the ability to generate that offense. The size is there already at six foot three. Um, I think a team that believes in that kind of archetype of a player is going to be salivating at the opportunity to take Connor Geeky. I can buy that. I uh, I don't know that I remember Mantha skating in his draft year. I don't know that I was paying attention. Um, I liked it better as a pro, but in his draft year, I'm guessing it wasn't quite as good as it was as a pro after he had put all that strength on his legs. Um, so I, I can buy that comp, yeah. Brad, you're you're hot and cold. I think a little bit more cold lately on Geeky. Why don't you give, uh, give me the reason why I'd be wrong to take him here? Um. I don't think he's super likely to reach that ceiling. Everybody talks about his skating and pace are major, major concerns for me. And a lot of the things that separate Mantha from him are, I think Mantha's skating was better at this age, not by leaps and bounds, but better. And the big difference though is Mantha played at pace. He did things quickly on the ice, whatever it was, whether it was a pass at the right time, getting his shot off quickly, you know, getting just to the right spot at the right time. Those were things that made Mantha special. I don't see that in Geeky, at least not to the level that Mantha has. I mean, don't get me wrong. The shot, unreal. The hands, unreal. The hockey IQ, not terrible. Like, you, I get it. But I, I just, the overall package doesn't excite me all that much and when mantha was on when he was engaged he would win races to 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 pucks and he could be effective on the forecheck and all that stuff and i think he can be effective on the forecheck more so because of his size and physicality and awareness and all that stuff but like can he go win you a race to a loose puck like or separate the way that mantha would sometimes picking off a pass at the blue line that is where i don't know if i see it and ultimately if he ends up like a distributing um, third line center, that's a good player, but you know, it, it's all just, you know, context for, for what do you want here at this pick? And, you know, yeah. Yeah. It may have been a bit amb- ambitious for me to talk about how Mantha brought it up to speed, but I guess a better way of saying it would be if a team is drafting him and isn't concerned about the skating, they think that they could get him to that place where you occasionally can find that separation with, you know, the buildup and, and, and Buffalo could use a center like positionally. I think you're on, on good ground there. Like, you know, they already have cousins and, you know, we'll see where, what Krebs is. If Thompson, obviously I think is probably going to stick down the middle based on what we've seen. So right. they don't necessarily need him to, to try to be Mr. Do it all there. I, I think it, but positionally it makes sense for them. I think it's the right range for him. I think it's a good pick. 
All right, so uh, we're going to cut it off there for now because we've promised to not have too much fun without Prashanth. Uh, that is the non-playoff team, first 16 picks of the 2022 NHL mock entry draft. We're going to do it again with uh, once we know the full draft order, and we'll go through this whole thing all over again. But for now, we have the Habs uh, taking Shane Wright at home. The New Jersey Devils are going to take Logan Cooley. The Arizona Coyotes are going to take Uri Slavkovsky. Uh, the Kraken are going to take Simon Nemich. Uh, the Flyers will take Savoy. The Blue Jackets, with their pick from Chicago, are going to take David Yurichek. The Sens are going to take Kemmel. And Brad selected for the Red Wings, Frank Nazer. Uh, Max also mentioned Cutter Gauthier, uh, as well as a possible pick there. Uh, the Sabres will select Cutter Gauthier. The Ducks will take Casper. Uh, Danila Yurov to the Sharks, Lakaramaki to the Blue Jackets, Lambert to the Islanders, Minchikov to the Jets, McGrordy to the Canucks, and Connor Geeky to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, if you have any thoughts on those picks, we ask you to do two things. Uh, leave a comment or uh, whatever, tweet at us, however you listen to this podcast. Uh, let us know what you think. And if you really, really disagree to the point where you're angry, uh, tweet at Iyer underscore Prashanth and just let him know exactly how mad you are. Yeah, um, he would have never let that happen if he was here. Whatever you're mad about, he would have prevented it if he was here. Exactly right. So that's on him. Uh, Max, tell us very quickly about your latest piece for the Athletic Detroit, as well as uh, the show that you do with um, Corey Promen over at the Athletic. Yeah, Corey and I do the um, Friday episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, which is an everyday show. Um, kind of everyday has a little bit of a different flavor to it. Like, um, you know, Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian usually have the Monday show. Craig Custance and Sean Gentile have the Tuesday show, which usually is centered around an interview with a really interesting um, NHL or hockey in general person. Um, the Wednesday show, I think, is the uh, one that Rob Pizzo hosts with Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian. And um, I think Julie McKenzie's on that one a lot, right? Um, and then... The Thursday show is Down Goes Brown at Ian, uh, which obviously every, if you read Down Goes Brown, you can kind of imagine how how that one is um, really fun too. And I think Jesse does a segment on that show a lot. But Corey and I's is the Friday and we hone in on prospects. Um, obviously, Corey is the brains there, but it's very fun for me to do because there's a lot of overlap on my beat, obviously, covering the Red Wings and the prospects. It helps me uh, learn more about those guys and, and all that stuff. So um it's a fun show i think people should check it out Corey is a wealth of information and if, if you like his work written um i think you really enjoy hearing a little bit of what goes into all of that and and he often will drop in little tidbits that he hears from nhl people um about these guys that i don't usually ever see make it to print so i think it's a really useful kind of supplement for people to hear some of those extra stuff um uh, story that i've got coming this week hopefully unless there's a uh catastrophe is uh every year i do a what one thing the Red Wings can learn from each conference finalist is. Um, I will spoil one for you guys. One of them is about Mike Smith, and it is uh, a bad situation for me tonight. <laughs> um, I'll also <laughs> give you guys an update. Edmonton just scored to make it 7-5, to five, so we are approaching that over total. I don't think we're going to hit it, but we'll see. But yeah, uh, really would appreciate uh, anybody who wants to subscribe to The Athletic and read what we do. I'll be at the Combine this week uh, with some fun stories, hopefully, to come out of that. Um Thanks for letting me ramble. Yeah. And uh, Max, just, I mean, you didn't ask for it, but some advice. If, if the Mike Smith story fails, you can just default to the draft Connor McDavid advice for, for that. I, it's in there. It's in there story. Like, it's like, I really, I should say this, but I feel like I have to pick something different. And, and I ended up picking that, like, you can win with an unorthodox goalie. And you know what? Like coming into this game, Mike Smith was riding a 927 save percentage in these playoffs, even with the crazy gaffes that we've all seen. Sturkin was at a 928. There was a statistical basis for it, but damn it if he didn't give up six goals 
just a couple hours after I filed it. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Don't give it up yet, man. We all saw how that Calgary series went. Folks, this has been the uh, the first mock draft of the Wingwheel Podcast. Max, thank you for joining. Max Boltman with The Athletic Detroit. Go subscribe. And uh, until next time. All right, that was our first mock draft. Uh, like Brad said earlier, for the picks you liked, you're welcome. For the picks you hated, at HockeytownEvan uh, on Twitter. So thank you, Max, for joining us, and I uh, hope you all enjoyed our first mock draft of the season as the playoffs roll on and as the uh, the prospect conversations continue. We will do more mock drafts and a full round full rounds worth of them. Apparently, I have a type because I think my first three picks added up to like 212 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you drafted three of you? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, before we jump into what's going to be a, I, I can only assume amazing conversation about an offside review. I first want to tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Uh, they're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings safely in as little as 20 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Brad, an offside review was controversial. Can you believe it? Why wouldn't you, as the Winged Wheel podcast host with the most to say about reviews, ever warn us about the danger of offside reviews? I blame you. I blame you for my naivety in thinking these would be a good thing and that nothing would ever go wrong with them. Shame on you, Brad. You have a responsibility to the public and you failed us. You failed your co-hosts. And Evan's not here, but I know he's disappointed in you. Everyone join me in booing Brad. Tweet at HockeyTownEvan and uh, just say boo. <laughs> No, seriously. Uh, what a mess. This is what I've been preaching for years in the in stating that, yeah, in theory, getting everything right and crystal clear is great. Except when has the NHL ever been good at that? And as we're learning with goaltender interference reviews and offside reviews and other seemingly simpler reviews, it never works out that way. And it never will because the NHL can't stop themselves from being the NHL. Because in this one, the problem wasn't the review itself. It was the actual way the rules are written. Which I didn't know was a thing because offsides are literally, well, almost literally about black and white. It's about blue and white. It is there's there shouldn't ever be an interpretation based on the spirit of the rule but as i started talking about people they started citing the rule book and i saw lines in the rule book where i was like whoa why is that worded like that because that absolutely needs clarification because this should be a technical 
you are on this part of the line, you are offside. If you are on this part of the line, you are onside rule. Here's the gist of it. Valerie Natushkin was coming back onside, or he had to tag up. He was in the zone. Kale McCarr caught the puck outside of the zone, brought it in while stick handling, essentially. The ruling was that the puck crossed the blue line into the offensive zone. And at the very moment as that happened, Kale McCarr will stick handling slash pushing the puck, pushed the puck off of his stick, which it is close. It is extremely close. I have seen an angle where I can buy that, but he pushed the puck off his stick and then only touched it in the zone after Nichushkin's skate tagged up on the blue line and he was thus onside. Here's the thing. There is an interpretation here, which I can't sit here and say is wrong, that says Kale McCarr was technically offside because he is either in control or possession of the puck, which part of the rule states that he has to be touching it, but there's other parts of the rules that dictate control slash possession as just it being in your area slash you're stick handling it. And there's another argument coming from the same angle that says he is a player who made an attempt to control the puck whilst it was in an offside position. The spirit, the implication of that rule was only ever really meant to apply to players who preceded the puck in the zone. That's the spirit of it, but that's not written in the rule book, which I was shocked by. So all of that needs to be addressed. And then you need to get into the conversation of, was that genuinely a push forward by Makar where he did that thing where we sometimes see by players who are about to be offside where they lift their stick off the puck or they shovel it forward intentionally. Cause it was, I would, I would edge towards, he was actually just stick handling it and he got lucky more than anything. So there is a mess here. There are a lot of different angles. Everyone is right. And everyone's wrong. Yeah. Doesn't this feel like the most NHL thing ever? How do you not have that sorted out? It's terrible. So this is where there's one part of this where I think the the offside reviews themselves are hurting the NHL here. It's because can I just say this is Pav this is a Pavlov's review. We see foot white space blue line puck white split white space blue line. He's offside. Clear as day. Offside. Because we're so used to player two players entering the zone and seeing a freeze frame of that exact moment and going yeah, yeah, offside. Yeah, yeah. So we see that and we go offside. Somewhere there's a psychologist listening to this dying inside by the probable misuse of Pavlov's. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely wrong. I don't care. But I know what you mean and I yeah. completely agree. Yeah, yeah. we're trained yeah. to see foot, white space, blue line, puck, white space, blue line, offside. And that's what everybody was basing their opinion on, primarily from what I've seen. But again, you're right in the sense that it's hilarious how poorly this rule is written. So the way I took this play particular was by basing it up against every other tag up offside scenario we have seen in hockey for a million years. The only reason that it, it feels weird is because 99 out of 100 times they don't end up in a goal. Because if, how many times have we seen a scenario where a player will be offside, his teammates are waiting for him to tag up, and the puck's like a foot inside the blue line, and the attacker, he's sitting there staring at it, waiting for his teammate to tag up, and then as soon as that foot hits the blue line, he grabs it and goes. 
you can argue he's definitely not in possession of the puck when he's doing that because he's sitting there waiting. But they don't blow the whistle till he touches the puck. On any given tag up offside where a guy's chasing the puck around the zone, even if his teammate's offside and the ref's got his arm up and he's yelling offside, 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 they don't blow it till he touches it. Uh, Most of the time, unless the ref is certain, but he doesn't hear him and is ignoring him. But on a normal tag up offside, they will not blow it until he touches it. No, but by the rules, if they're chasing, if they know they're in an offside position. And yeah, yeah, if the ref deems he's like, okay, no, screw this guy. Yeah. If you, essentially, yeah. it's it's kind of like in soccer. Yeah. Um, and if you're over the pond football, where if they try to influence the play at all, if they're at yeah, all yeah, part yeah, of the play, yeah. then they, they'll they'll rule that offside. But I know what you yeah, mean. But the, yeah, it's not, it doesn't apply to this particular circumstance. For the tag up situation, yeah. it's touching the puck. Yeah. So this is not a situation of them entering the zone where the puck preceding the scape matters. It doesn't in this instance, because on a normal tag up offside, it doesn't get blown until contact is made with the puck so by the best interpretation of this that we can come up with based on the horribly written rules i think they got it right but the fact that i have to say i think about something that's supposed to be so simple is hilarious to me and the nhl constantly Dumping all over themselves because of their terrible rules actually fills me with great joy. But I'm also very, very tired of this. Rule 83.3, if during the course of the delayed offside, any member of the attacking team touches the puck, attempts to gain possession of a loose puck, etc., etc., the linesman shall stop the play for the offside violation. Like I said, as long as I have known, refereed, and played hockey, watched hockey, that rule is only ever applied to a player who had preceded the puck into the zone and was more or less the cause of being in the offside position. Mm-hmm. Not players like in Kale McCarr's position, but as that rule is written, then it should have been deemed offside. Also, you know, does there need to be something in there to distinguish? Like, are, are you okay with the simple touching of the, the puck? Because there's a difference between a player who lifts his stick and doesn't put it down on the puck until he knows his teammates have tagged up versus Kale McCarr, who I legitimately believe was just in between stick handles. Oh, a thousand percent was just in, he got in, lucky, in between right? stick handles. But and that was still close. I saw one yeah. angle like two hours ago where I was like, okay, I can see that he probably didn't touch it. Yeah, which whatever. he It was the same thing as the Coleman thing. He It was it was lucky here more than anything because he, he was in the process of just stick handling. But again, the interpretation of the rule, McCarr didn't have time to decide whether or not he was going to quote unquote attempt to play the puck on the tag up offside because a he didn't know Nachushkin was offside so he he can't you can't make a call based on an attempt because he didn't know and b because it was such a short amount of time I, given the fact that this is what actually happened, you can very much argue, well, he didn't have time to actually play the puck, so how could he call in an attempt? He literally stick-handled and the Chushkin was out in time, right? So that's why I think the closest interpretation of the rule you have to go by is the traditional tag-up of when does he actually touch the puck? And then there's the whole conversation of a player who comes in backwards with the puck in control. Oh, don't even get me started on that shit. Is deemed onside, so, you know, 
then you're like, where's, why is that the standard for control versus not? Then everything goes out the window. And then you're like, what counts as backward? Does sideways count as backwards? Does there have to be? It's the NHL genuinely does. As the game gets faster and they get more kill in the cars, and as teams know that they can exploit these kind of edge cases, which will be hard to do, but still, they will need to, to clarify this codified and clearly. Remember that Patreon exclusive episode where we had to come up with our craziest ideas to how to make hockey better and just to see the chaotic reaction I suggested just ban off, like get rid of offsides entirely, get rid of the blue lines. I'm getting there, man. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) This is not not just mine, not just yours, all hockey fans, collective Joker origin story. We're getting there. I don't, it was a sick goal. It was what a shot. We're not even talking about that. <laughs> I hate this league so. And the, the thing is too, here's where the review part of this bothers me. Because unless the league fixes the way they rate the rules, what are the point of reviews? Because how many times have how many times in the last 3 weeks have we went to review to get something quote unquote definitively correct and it just adds more confusion. A play like this in previous years would go Half the fans would be yelling, oh, that ref screwed up, and then forget about it the next morning. Because, ah, shit, ref made a bad call, happens a million times. Yeah, whatever. But the review just makes it that much worse, because now it's another chain in the link, another link in the chain of people going, well, now this guy also screwed up, and the entire league screwed up. How can they keep screwing this up? And NHL just goes, oh, no. Well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> the funny thing is there's a link to some example videos that I think were used for either rulebook or officiating clarification, which is a, a common practice where Charlie McAvoy, for example, uh, intentionally pushes the puck forward a foot off of his stick, waits for the tag up behind him, and then touches it essentially right after. By rule, like if someone were to hit Charlie McAvoy, that would be a clean hit because he would be in possession of the puck. But by rule or in practice of the offside he wasn't touching it so there's like you said there's all these little yeah and that's probably the close that, i think that one specifically that was against vancouver yes i believe so yeah because so. i think i saw that clip and that's probably the best yeah vancouver that was probably the best precedent for this play because nothing about it was accidental but it was still fine right I think like, yeah. I think the clarification on this rule, and I know it's not how it's written now, but I think that the way these two plays played out is probably the way the rule should be written, but it should be written that way because it's as as close to black and white as you can get. Buddy's off, buddy's everything's fine until stick touches puck because it's a definitive stick touches puck. There's no intent. There's no is he in control of the puck? Just no. Okay, you you are free and clear until your stick touches the puck. Now you're offside. Yeah. My preference is that if and likely when now they fix this, they make it so it is certain that he was onside. Yeah. Well, let's hope that's the last time we ever talk about an offside review. I'm going to open my phone in five minutes just to see whatever controversial call happened in Tampa, New York right now. So it's a good time to transition. Tampa, New York, which means New York broke Carolina's streak of all those wins at home. They ended up winning game seven in decisive manner. Shesterkin is Shesterkin, and currently their award is game one of the Eastern Conference final against the twice defending Stanley Cup champion. Your thoughts on Carolina not getting it done? I hate this because Carolina is good, and I'm about to sell a few other players short, even though I shouldn't, but 
this Again, is there's another short joke in here and i remain not clever enough okay i tried to think of one for you i didn't get it either anyways we're nothing without evan yeah <laughs> so one of the big talking points for the Red Wings through the rebuild is what's the best path to get good again? And one of the points I know I was always very adamant about and always gravitated towards is this is a superstar driven league. You need stars. Doesn't matter how deep you are, any team can shut down any player every game. You need that star who can break through. Carolina really doesn't have that player, and it showed because they played great they by and large outplayed the rangers in that series i'd say comfortably obviously shesterkin had a lot to do with that but there were a lot of times it just didn't feel like carolina was really threatening despite controlling the game even in that was a game five where they absolutely handled the rangers didn't feel like they were killing them like you've seen colorado tampa right 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 you know what i mean and as good as Svechnikov is, as good as Aho is, as good as Slavin is, as good as a lot of their players are, they're not Panarin, Zibanejad. Their goalie's not Shesterkin. They don't have a Kucherov. They don't have a McKinnon. They don't have a McDavid. They don't have those guys who just make that difference when you need it most. So despite the fact they are a very deep, very good team, when it gets to crunch time and you're playing a team like the Rangers who by and large, are a weaker, inferior team, but they throw the absolute clamps on and they ran the intensity up to 110 and they've got a good goalie. Carolina just didn't have those big guns to overcome it. It's, I think, a version of the Rangers that didn't have a star goaltender might have, I don't think, I think Carolina might have been able to get it done, but that's the playoffs, right? But even in game seven, that game wasn't close. No, but I think it would have made the difference maybe in some other games. But even then, Carolina, this is all like a longer way to get to your main point. Carolina would have run into Tampa Bay the next round in Vasilevsky. You need to find a way to get that done. We did get word of, you know, every team dumps their injury report where it turns out like seven of the players were legally dead. Um, Frederick Anderson has a torn MCL, which like that would have helped because Ranta wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. And you can only expect they got more than they could have ever hoped for with Kotchikov. So it's tough. Okay. I know we've played game one. We had like about 85 goals. We joked on that interview. We set the over under at 13. What was it? 13 and a half. Yeah. And we hit 14. We hit the over for that game. Somehow. <laughs> Mayhem. Pure chaos. An 8-6 final in game one of the uh, Western Conference final between Colorado and Edmonton. With that in hand and knowing that the Rangers and the Lightning are... Uh, about to go into the first intermission tied 1-1 what are your predictions boring answers hard to pick against Colorado and Tampa here I mean the Rangers had the advantage over everybody they've played so far this year from one standpoint at least they had Shesterkin he was definitively better than Carolina and Pittsburgh's backups and nobody could argue it is he better than playoff Vasilevsky maybe maybe not probably not are the Rangers as a team better than Tampa as a team? Absolutely not. No chance. This is going to have to be. Remember how I was talking about Tampa doesn't take a shift off? Yeah. They're not going to take a shift off. They're not going to fold. The Rangers, the only way they win the series is they have to go out, punch above their weight class at forward and defense, 
and match their intensity and hope Shesterkin outduels Vasilevsky. And I don't see all of that happening. I can see one or two of those things happening, but I don't think one or two of those things equals a Rangers series win. I think the Rangers have enough in place where if the right players do the right things, they could do it, but I'll agree that it's unlikely. Shesterkin could goalie them. Yes, it's Tampa Bay, and yes, they have a Vasilevsky, but Shesterkin is one of the only goalies on the planet who you could say good, could go toe-to-toe with Vasilevsky and goalie the other team. It's not likely, and they would need a lot to go their way, and they need Tampa Bay to, to not do a lot of things that Tampa Bay tends to do. I could see it happening. I'm still going to take Tampa Bay here. In the West, I know earlier I said I'm not going to bet against Connor McDavid. And so in the spirit of keeping it fair, I'll continue that. But the only way Edmonton wins is in seven because there's absolutely no way they're going to. Colorado's not Calgary. I feel like Colorado has a more potent offense that is going to expose, like we saw, the Edmonton defense and the their goaltending. But then again, Mike Smith is either the second coming of Patrick Waugh or Mike Smith. There's no in between for him. So just to keep it honest, because I said it before, I'm not going to bet against McDavid, Oilers and seven, but I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be wrong on that one. I've said I have a real hard time betting against Connor McDavid. And this is hard, but I'm betting against Connor McDavid because superstar driven league, Edmonton's got two of them. Colorado's got four. It's... Edmonton put up six in a game. Connor McDavid threw three points at him. Colorado won. Hard, hard to bet against them. Um, I think this series is going to be super close. I think this series is going to go super deep. But when you have McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, Makar, hell, I said four. You could almost this season put Devontae's and Nazem Kadri into that as well. Yeah. I just can't bet against that. Okay. Well, I think we've run long here, so why don't we jump into overtime and take some uh, questions from Patreon. Uh, This is a midweek episode, so it's Patreon exclusive. Our Patreon supporters are the reason we're able to run this show, especially during the Red Wings offseason, give you the kind of draft preview and content that uh, you all want and essentially do our best to survive without Evan. Hopefully he's back next episode, but it's a bit, it's a maybe, but no, seriously, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club and we can't say enough how much we appreciate all of you. He fell in the Jackson hole. <laughs> he went out. It's like uh, the, looking for the lost city of, um, oh, what's the one with the gold? El Dorado. <laughs> I was stuck between Atlantis and El Dorado and I went with El Dorado and I just didn't have it in front of me. Okay. We're going to take questions from our Patreon supporters, uh, some of them, and then the rest will be on our Patreon exclusive full overtime where we go completely unhinged and uh, Brad gets to do some swear words. So, And I'm sleep deprived today. So oh, I'll either say nothing or it could go really off the rails and I'd say equally likely. Uh, this is an interesting comment from Josh Brink, which I think is funny. Through three rounds, the total goals scored in each team's opening games. Edmonton, 36, three games. Colorado, 28, three games. Tampa Bay, 10 in two games. And the New York Rangers, 10 in two games. So that's before today's game one in the East. No matter what, we get an offense versus defense finals. <sighs> He's not wrong. For the good of hockey, we've got to hope whoever wins the Western Conference wins. There may be a world where we have to, where people rooting for the team out of the West has to bank on Mike Smith winning the Stanley Cup as the starting goalie. We as Red Wings fans might experience hell. (laughs) 
Think about it. We might have to choose between Colorado and Tampa Bay. I know. I know. Do you know how much I hate that statement? And then honestly with Edmonton, if if Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid's his way to a cup, we're going to have to hear so much of a Ken Holland, you know, built a cup winning team narrative. If it prevents us from Tampa or Colorado, fine. Fully on board. Hey, I like Ken Holland as a person. Yeah, he's great. Sure. Terrible GM in the last 10 years, but like great dude. Be happy for him. I legitimately the only part of Ken Holland's tenure that I don't like is his last phase with Detroit. Yeah, I don't, most of what he's done at Edmonton, but he has. I, I don't care what he's done, at but Edmonton. he's done the two most important things he could do as the Edmonton Oilers GM. He didn't trade Connor McDavid. And he didn't trade Leon Draisaitl. We're happy for people when they win the lottery, right? If your best friend wins the lottery, you're not like, oh, you lucky POS. You're happy for him. If Ken Holland wins the Stanley Cup with the Edmonton Oilers. We're not going to say, oh, you lucky POS. We're happy for him. It's fine. If you get lucky and something good happens, it's fine. You win the lottery. How much are you giving me percentage wise? That's how much I win. hundred million. hundred million. I'm going to figure out a way that you owe me a hundred grand. <laughs> that just means I can hire a lawyer for like. <laughs> That's fair. I've done enough to warrant that. I want to be upset, but yeah. I'm hiring Johnny Depp's lawyer to, to sue for emotional damage. Oh, yeah. Tune into the Patreon exclusive where it's a six-hour recap of that entire trial. Oh, God. I'm so happy. It's off. It's going to be off the news now. I did a really good job of barely paying attention to it. I admire that about you. Yeah. And it did come up in my feed all the time, but like I just kind of glanced past it. It never caught my attention. I was shocked when the lawyer pressed the play button on a like recorded clip and it was just the podcast. Weird. Yeah. I was wondering why our listens went up. <laughs> Down, you mean. Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth says, is there a universe where Eisenman signs Nemesnikov again? Please say yes. Yeah, possible. Absolutely. Uh, it's not entirely likely, likely for players to go back to the team that let them go, but if you had to pick a situation where you'd put it within the realm of possibility, it's Nemesnikov, how much he liked Detroit, and the fact that the Red Wings may still be in a phase where they need good but not expensive great players on the roster next season we're also at the point too where this team um probably wants to move forward and i don't know if trying to recreate last year's team is the greatest idea because there's not going to be a lot of turnover at forward as is no no last year's i mean like every year's was mired with injury in certain ways where you're like you don't really think you got the full picture but at the same time you kind of did um, Cody Stark says, uh, one of my best friends coached in the USHL from 2019 to 2021. And then in the NCAA last year, coached against Shai Buya many times. One of the best players he's ever coached against, he said. Bodes well. You know, talking, Promising. Talking about draft picks and those that were some a little bit more projects in terms of their skill sets. I know Shai, the Shai Buya pick was a big, okay, if you're, that's who you're going with, with all those other players on the board, that's fine. But um, you have to hope that this pans out because he is a unique but skilled player and one that does seem to be doing well. Seems to be a Red Wings trend here. And the two that similar-ish picks of the, the high upside projects while leaving a lot of good talent on the board seem to be turning out 50-50. The Tio Misto one is leaving a lot to be desired, but the Wallander one seems to be turning out okay so if those are anything more than 50 50 then they're not project picks by definition yeah they go higher or you're you have an abnormally good scouting team yeah. at which point congratulations they're all going to be hired out as gms elsewhere but between booyam wallander and tuamisto three second round picks if you get one top four defenseman out of that 
it's a home run. Yeah, it's a win. The other two can never play a game in the NHL, but you get one legit top four defenseman. Again, go look at how players turn out in the second round. That would be a phenomenal outcome. Uh, Jacob Charlop says, with Tampa Bay beginning to truly threaten for the three-peat, I'm beginning to wonder whether any of our championship teams were better. Which of the following is best built to beat Tampa in a seven-game series, assuming a healthy Braden point? 97-98 wings, 0-2 wings, or 0-8 wings? Oh, I consider the 2002 Detroit Red Wings to be the single greatest hockey team of all time, so I will go with that one. In the NHL. Yeah, you have to look at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. I was going to be like, oh, well, they had a lot of Olympians on it. But yeah, no, that's probably true. Unfortunately, I do agree with you, Brad. Like that is, I don't think we'll ever see a team like that again unless one day the NHL just says F it and just gets rid of the salary cap. Um, Because there's what, already 10 Hall of Famers from that team? 10, 11. Yeah. And Datsuk hasn't even gone in yet. There's... You don't think about Scotty Bowman as coach either. They essentially just brought in the Monstars to play in the the O2 playoffs. Like, oh, the third pairing has another Hall of Famer on there. Or, oh, the fourth line has another Hall of Famer. Pavel, the, the two the kids. The fourth line had arguably the greatest left winger in hockey history, not named Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> like, that's a very literal statement. Brad is not kidding. Luke Robitaille was on that fourth line. <laughs> You had the two kids in an old goat line. Yeah, Pavel Datsuk and Brett Hall were on the third line. <laughs> I could watch those highlights from that game seven repeatedly. Repeatedly, oh, yeah. I would say that O two team could could go to toe toe to toe. If you want to start comparing eras and speed and clutch and grab versus not, then that's a different conversation. But I think you you just measure and, and put those uh, eras on level standing, then then that's where you get. All right, um, we're going to wrap up this episode. I know we've run long. For those of you who are still with us, if uh, any of you are on social media other than Twitter, uh, check us out on Instagram or TikTok. We're on both of those things now. We'll Or uh, YouTube as well. So we'll post clips and reels and things like that on uh, those. So if you want to go give us a follow on anything that you are, you spend your time mindlessly scrolling on like Brad and I. And uh, thank you all so much for your support. For those of you who have left ratings on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast, it makes a huge, huge difference for us. Even if you don't, uh, but you have those services, um, go give us a rating and it would make a big, big difference if that's something that you want to do. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, the FanDuel Sportsbook, all of our patrons and our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Ake for the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey. Terry Driver of the number 69, crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Batman should lose his job based on the oath's changed my mind, Brandon M., Carl Brutan and Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chumbawamba, not Chumbawamba, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesday It, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hassam Al Kassem, I Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, now I finish better than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric, the Eric Sinkowski, Sinkowski, Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, uh, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, 
Matt Keeler, Matt S, Maximilian Cheesebags, Papa Woody, Profe- Professor Balzac, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Trevor Pevovar, Wish.com, Shea Weber, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We're going to go try to find Evan. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.